Coming to YouTube is the show Healing Hands. Healing Hands is hosted and presented by Chenille Bostic. In this series, Chenille will be teaching us about massage therapy and techniques and demonstrate those skills she has acquired to the audience. Click on the YouTube link in the description below to be the first to find episodes of Healing Hands. Healing Hands launches September 12th. Or back, or I'm back, kind of, sort of. Eh, eh. Still kind of got this cloud here. My guest is the one and only Dana Goldstein, her first time on the show. How you doing? I'm good. I am good, Joshua. Welcome back to, are you in Calgary? Yes. I'm Calgary, yes. Yeah, so am I. So welcome back oh, to you're California. In oh, 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 really? I didn't realize you were actually yeah. living in Calgary. I would have actually invited to meet you in person. What's up? So where are you at? And where about the, the city you at? I'm in the Southeast. I'm in Sundance. Okay. I'm at uh, Rundle. So that's where I'm at. So we're not that far away from each other, actually, which is kind of cool. Are you doing one where it's collide? I am. I'll be there. At least at least through part of it. We, I'm trying to figure out. So like, like we mentioned a little off the air, some doors have kind of, I felt like San Diego is like a door opening thing. Literally when I come back, uh, I get, I was wondering where, where financial, financially where, how I like next month would work out. So as soon as we're done here, I get to make a phone call. Something kind of worked out. I got my first art commission I'm working on. I got like other things kind of going and rolling. But the thing is the same weekend, the one words collide, there's a heavy metal festival in Drumheller. <laughs> got invited to do the whole damn event. Places at once though, but there's a very, I'm trying, I'm still quietly looking at my options for next Friday. It's like, so how can I do my one panel at One Words Collide dis, and just disappear and do heavy metal for a night and then come back completely like decimated for the, for, for the rest of the show? <laughs> I don't know it, but yeah, I, I didn't think I guess. So I was like, I got this pass. Hey, and while we're in town, you want to do this, meet, meet this band here? I'm like, maybe, like, maybe. Be sure. That's been my life since I've opened this door. So, yeah, you'll figure it out. Awesome. Yeah. If, if if you don't see me much Friday night, if you see me just for that one panel, I'll be like, yeah, I, I know where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah. It's like, what's he doing? He's like, well, he got invited to do this metal show, and and it's only and, and he's only going there for a night. So uh, yeah, it's like yeah. Then I come back. I'll be the guy. Well, I'll I'll be the guy that's like. Did you party like a rock star? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I I'm yeah, so that, that that's that's the weird thing. No, so no, I'm I'm gonna be on one words collide. It's kind of bittersweet. Um, because it, it's it's I'm gonna see a lot of people I haven't seen in years. And it probably and the way it's been since I've been back in the city, uh, um might be the only time I see some of these people. I just it's just a weird like realization. I, I'm not so in comparison, like San Diego, here's the big difference. Like, I talk to everybody at San Diego. I talk to the bus drivers. I talk to the people here. People feel very reluctant to engage. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. I, mean, I, like, I don't know. But they're it, reluctant to engage, like, on a day-to-day -day well, basis like, like, or when like, they're in, like, a conference setting. Well, no, you know, conference, I had, like, even at San Diego, I had no problem. There's this one conversation I had with one of the, like, people I met there that's, like, we, we filmed it. 
we ended up talking about fluffy turds and sprinkles. Like <laughs> opening up there was not hard at all. Um, uh, with anybody, like like I, whether I was at the, I did a Barbie party. Like I don't know if you saw that on my Instagram. I actually went to a Barbie party after uh, San Diego Comic Con was done. No, it, people just open up. It's not hard. I don't know, but here yeah, it has been hard. I, I think I kind of uh, agree with you. My experience, ha I mean, I've lived in three provinces, um, so I have a good taste of people all over Canada, but I, I feel like um, Americans are sort of, I don't know, they're just less cautious about talking to people. Well, yeah, you only got one life to live. You got to, you got you might as well just do it, right? Just, just do it. I met an owner of a publisher, publisher. So he was, I didn't realize he's the owner of the company. He was, he was at this booth doing the, the sign calling. It's okay to make guys doing like this little shimmy while he's doing it. So I snuck up. It's like, dude, you got to go all in. You, you got to go all in. He goes, what do you mean? So you got, you got to go do a full, if you're going to do a little shimmy, you got to do a full dance. So he was like, it's one of the conversations I had. So he's like, can't like it. I get him laughing a little bit about the whole concept. So then for the rest of the con, like the whole, I had four days, I would sneak up on him and do a dance move just to see if I can get him to do it, just to crack him. So I did the can-can one day, which his response was the can-can't, right? <laughs> and then uh, last, he caught me the the, uh, third, the second day. He caught me, but he still broke down laughing. The third day, though, I snuck up behind him and I was actually able to do like the Russian dance. <laughs> He just just goes. He sees me goes like, "What the hell?" He sees me coming, just like breaking right down. This isn't the, this isn't the owner of a company, like this is the level of seriousness we have in life. So I mean, I I I, I enjoy that. I've enjoyed like that whole adventure connection thing. I think, yeah, down there, there's there's far more of a hey, let's just see where it goes, and I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. And at this point in my life, I'm I'm more open to that than hi how you doing and they don't know what to say beyond that yeah that's yeah that happens but i haven't been yeah, to no, maybe, maybe. I, I haven't been to um sdcc i haven't been to a lot of conventions actually so i'm still kind of feeling my way through the crowds have fun that's <laughs> the only that's that's no that's seriously it's the rule that matters yeah. even when you're networking with it, people love genuine people like they just do, right? And so the the whole um, uh, secret I've learned is I am very good at making an ass of myself, Miss Dana. <laughs> I'm very good at it. They even gave me an award for it. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I just look at it and I just go, you know what? You have to, you can't be afraid to put yourself out there because right. there's too much good that can come from just being yourself. And I find the older I get, the more true that is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So what kind of chaos and mayhem do you do? Um, I don't really do chaos and mayhem. I do uh, calm and not really reserved, but sensible. So I'm, uh, I, I did chaos and mayhem when I was like 14 well 15 through to 25 okay <laughs> yeah and then i sort of was like oh yeah i got bills to pay and 
shit to do and oh can we, we can swear right? oh yeah, yeah. I, I only have two rules okay. okay i have two rules right don't be a bigot yeah and if you're going to be an asshole be an entertaining one yeah that's it wow. <laughs> uh yeah so i uh i got all my chaos and mayhem out in like a decade so <laughs> i must be doing things yeah. wrong no i i grew up in toronto so it's it's easy uh there's a whole lot of selection of chaos and mayhem, or there was when I was there much still younger. There yeah, still is. Right? So, and I like we did stupid things, and I'm super glad that there was no internet or you know uh, smartphones to capture the dumbass things that we did on a, on the daily, and especially on the weekend. Oh yeah, so you were one of those party girls. Um, I kind of was. Like, I just like to be. Uh, around people and uh yeah i i don't i don't know i i don't want to say that i was a party girl but i guess if you ask anybody me they'd be like oh yeah dana was a party girl so so my my last night in san diego right my last night i was at the airport because i i had to cross the border and i had to be good it was like do I have to get up at 2 a.m in the morning to catch a six o'clock in the morning flight because i'm crossing the border (laughs) or do i just Go to the freaking airport at like 11 o'clock at night and just suffer for a few hours. That's what I chose to do. So one of the girls that that like was literally there to, like she's just in town from Argentina. She's a 19 year old party girl. So like like we 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 figured this out. Like like she goes, I just want to party. What's wrong with that? Honest honestly, like look, they're they're. I only re- there's only really I think one rule in life. What do you really want to do? Like in this moment, in this time. What do you want to do? As long as you're honest with yourself, really, I there's no nobody is in a position to judge you. You know what I mean? Nobody can. It's like I'm doing what I want. What can someone say to you about that? Really? I mean, you're being honest about what you're doing. You're not bullshitting anybody. You're not bullshitting yourself. You can just pretty much you're free to do what you want. You know. Yeah. So if you were the party girl in that 15 to 25, it's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I was. You know, we I, we did a lot of things. I spent quite a bit of time in Europe. And Europe's like a whole different... When you're yeah. young in Europe, it's like a whole different thing. So like things that I would never have done in Toronto, we did. Like we went to Rimini in Italy. And Rimini is, um, at the time, it probably still is, was a big party town. So like... <clears throat> discos and dance clubs that opened at 11 o'clock and you know you just you danced until four in the morning and then you crashed on the beach like it was like like why not yeah right or why not yeah. like I, I i i was at a beach bungalow i was i was that was literally a party hostel it literally was i i was i was really good during the con i didn't party because it was just i'm I'm a working man and it's hard to part for people. It's like, I was working at the con, so I couldn't do it. But the moment the con was over, there was, like I said, there was a freaking Barbie party. So I'm in, fuck it. Yeah. I don't have pink, but I don't give a shit. So every, every, everybody, you can go on my Instagram right now. You can see, you can see, you can see my a picture of me at the Barbie party if you want to. Right. So, I mean, I, I didn't give a fuck, but but up until I, I mean, it, again, when you're an adult, you realize, okay, you're older, you can't, you can't do it like you did as a kid. So it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you just got to be, um, 
have to have your priorities on in the right place. Yeah. And you get to a certain age and like you physically can't do it. Like if you party till three o'clock in the morning for two days, you're just like, you're well, no, dragging, you, you, right? you don't have that ability. Like that ability yeah. is gone. Yeah. I can party. Well, hold on. Did I? Yeah, I probably could have partied two days if I wanted to still. But I'd be useless on the third day. I'd be like, where are you? I'm over in this corner feeling sorry with my life choices right now. It's like, why did I do that? Right? But one night of actually playing, drinking games and dancing. And yeah, I, I can still dance all night. I just can't drink all night anymore. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Cursed age and making us have to take better care of ourselves. We can't get young and trash forever, Dana. We just can't. We just no, that's can't. that's why I think that's probably why I packed it in in it. Like I squeezed as much as I could into a decade, and then I was and like, you're like oh, at the yeah, end, you're like now. done. Yeah, I'm done. I did it. But no chaos and mayhem. Like chaos and mayhem doesn't necessarily have to be like partying. It could also just be like like pursuing your own goals and dreams and yeah. stuff like that. And, and okay. that could be open doors. Okay. Too. So I, well, I, I can give you a bit of like um, chaos and mayhem. Okay. So here's, uh, I worked in retail for, uh, well, before retail. So when I finished university, I'll, I'll go way back. So sure. I, I graduated with a um, highly useful degree in film studies and, <laughs> and I loved it but like when I graduated oh, yeah, I was like I don't know what, I, what am I going to do with it like I can write a paper and tear a film apart frame by frame and talk about mise-en-scene and but I, I don't actually have any tangible skills so uh, I ended up working for a while and then I decided to go to journalism school so I went to journalism school for a uh, it was a two-year program at the time designed for university grads. So awesome. So now I have some tangible skills. I graduated from journalism school and there was, uh, we were in a recession and there were like no jobs. <laughs> so I had to freelance uh, for a number of years. Um, I, I, I did work for a newspaper for a while and then I worked for a weekly and then I worked for a monthly and then I started writing documentary scripts and then I was like, you know, I'm, I'm fed up with chasing work and I went to go work in retail management. So, and I did that for 10 years and I was terrible at my job. <laughs> terrible as a retail manager because I did all the things that like head office is like you can't do that you can't show any initiative you can't like bring in extra people to help the cover the sales floor and like I cared about my people and I cared about my customers and I really didn't give a shit about the bottom line so you know my job was to train people make them want to come into work and uh, to help customers get what they wanted and want to come back to the store. I didn't care that my payroll percentages were high and my uh, sales were floundering, like, and that, you know, stock wasn't getting on the, on the floor fast enough. I didn't care about those things. So that's why I say I was like a shitty retail manager. Well, I mean, if, if you were, if you were there for like 10 years, you weren't that shitty. 
because they, 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 if you were that shitty, they ain't gotten ready yet. Well, I wasn't there, in one company. <clears throat> I was not uh, in one company. Over 10 years, I worked for four different companies. That's still that's still okay. Okay, that let's cut that in half. All right, let's eliminate. We all right. We'll 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 go with a wonderful average of three years of uh, three years of a company, which yeah. honestly, in this in this working environment, right? Because I'm gonna take your shitty one, the one where you and them just didn't get along at all. It's like oil and water gone. I'm gonna take the one that was probably really good to you, and you were good to them for them. That was the one you probably worked the longest at. Taking those out of the equation, was keeping the other two. It's like, well, on average, probably about three years of company, right? When you sit there and figure it out. So for three years, you were there. So for three years, see, if you were really shitty, they would have fired you after the first year. But they didn't. That kept you going. So minus, like I said, the really shitty company and then the really good company. The really good company probably were like, oh, we love you. Even if we're giving you shit for things you should do, we are. you're making enough money where they are like, you know? You know, you're here, right? I have see I, I have a see I have a tendency. I listen to what people say, but what I really am paying attention to is what they're doing because that tells me everything I need to know about them. For example, if the company if someone's gonna tell me, Well, you suck, I'm like, Okay, but you're listening to my show all the time. There's something about my show that fulfills a need for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Now, maybe it's just to yell at me. Like, you know, that's fine. You can yell at me from a distance. I'm very, very good with that. Right? You don't, I'm not, how do I put this? I'm not paid to, like, I don't, I'm here and you're interested. That's all I care about. Right? The rest of it, right? So your company, same thing. They care, if they were really mad at you, they'd let you go. You were able to make 10 years out of it, which means you didn't suck. Probably didn't suck. Now, were you maybe the best ever at it? Maybe not. But really, I mean, that's that's a, that's a very quantifiable thing. People liked working under you, which is huge. That means since you saved the company money in other ways, like you didn't have to retrain people. Because if people mm-hmm. like to go to work somewhere, they tend to stay there. Right? Right? So, I mean, your replacements were probably fewer than than average. I mean, you aren't perfect, but who is, right? So, I'm, I'm yeah, just throwing I, this like this. No, no, that's that's an interesting perspective. And I, you know, I I had ambition. I wanted to climb the ladder, and I just couldn't get there. So I was sort of stagnating on the sales floor and in the management office. Um, and then until I, I had my, uh, until I got pregnant with my first kid, and then I was like, I'm out, <laughs> I'm just, I'm out. And we moved anyways. And the company I was with at the time, uh, told me that I would have to, cause we moved from Toronto to Calgary and, at, and the company I was at the, t- at the time said, well, you're going to have to quit and then reapply for whatever job is available. And of course we moved to Calgary first in 2005 and if you okay. remember that was the big just before the big boom and then yep. um about three months after we moved um the the company contacted me and said um, we'd really like to have you come back in your capacity because at the time they couldn't find people to work like everybody was everybody was bailing for the oil oil sands 
because like, why am I going to work for eight bucks an hour when I can go work up north and make like a hundred times that? So they had no people yeah. to work, and they asked me if I would come back. <laughs> and I was like, I had a newborn. I was I was pregnant with my second child already, and I was like, yeah, mm, no, uh, no. I was no. I was out for good and I never went back. So, and then I started my own company. So, 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 so you are causing chaos and mayhem. You're just, you're just, you just, know, I guess I am. You see, you see, again, it's not just like you decide to find your own niche. Right. And that's yeah. like, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I, 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 I worked at pure later courier in Calgary and a little bit in Vancouver for approximately nine and a bit years. And I said to myself, I'm not working 10. I'm done. And I guess it, it's oddly, it was oddly rewarding to me to be working for a company you know you're quitting and you realize there's nothing they can do to you. <laughs> like there's nothing yeah. because you're like, I'm leaving anyway. I'm already kind of picked the date in my head. Now this was in 2020. So I left a little sooner than I planned because of this little thing called the pandemic. Yeah. But I was already quitting to kind of do my own thing. And uh, I was ready to. And by and large, it's working out. I, I figured out I figured out how to make money as a creative, which is something that a lot of creatives struggle with. Oh, yeah. I figured it out. I figured it out. But it, 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 I think the hardest thing about that is, and I, I say this, I've said this to a lot of them, it's figuring out what you're worth. And actually sticking to your guns on that because the rest of the world will sometimes say, no, you're not worth that. I'm like, you, you damn right. I'm worth that. I ain't going to do this for you unless I can see this kind of finance here. Right. And that's, and that's a hard like thing to realize is that your creativity for somebody else has to be limited to what they're working on. And you got to do your own thing um, and, and kind of see where it goes. Um, and that's a very, and that's a very tricky thing to figure out in your head. But once you figure it out, money comes in. It, it, it's strange how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Pricing, uh, creative work is super complicated. Uh, I know because I did it for, I started my, uh, my first, the company that I started was, uh, video, cre uh, video creation and video marketing. Mm. So I was fortunate that I launched, what I, what I'm doing right. I launched at the time, when it was basically like me and two other people <laughs> doing video creation, like on a budget friendly basis, right? Cause there was like the big companies that unless you had minimum $10,000, they weren't going to work with you. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I'll, I started a, a company that was uh, not, not as big and uh, not as much flash and got the job done. And I, I just closed uh, that branch of the company and closed the creative video marketing officially in January of this year. So, yeah, I I I, I started in 2006, so I had a good run. <laughs> that's a really good run. I'm actually that's something I'm doing now. I I, I have a big mouth, as you can tell, and, and I'm good at it. And I thought I'd use my skills I've learned here to help market people, right? So it's been an up and down thing. I find the challenge, I think the challenge, okay, I, I'm trying to marketing to other creatives. The challenge with them is they need to realize the value of it. And that's mm -hmm. sometimes a hard, that's a hard thing to, to, to 
I realized like that was the hardest thing. Like the the creatives that get it, right? You, you I I don't know the ones that really get it. I don't know if I have the I I'm within their budget. Like you know what I mean by that is, I might be too cheap for them. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, because here's the other part about the pricing. Here's the other part about pricing the game. You got to understand who your customer is, right? And if your customer is someone that can only have X amount of money, then you got to kind of budget accordingly. And you got, and the big challenge you probably faced your entire career of doing it was the people that are like, Hey, by the way, can you do this for this much money? Cause you're already doing this for this much money. They want the champagne service mm-hmm. on the beer budget. And you, there's a point where you gotta be like, Nope. Yeah, that didn't happen too, too often. I'm really fortunate. My my clients were amazing. Uh, but what finally sent me uh, thinking about maybe quitting or like shutting down the business was um, the the needs of the market changed. So it it yeah. it went like I the service I offered was like complete video marketing packages so like not only the production but the strategy as well and as the market changed more people were interested in just the video they didn't care about the marketing because it was like slap up some video because everybody has video and we need it and we don't really care if it's uh you know aligns with our purpose or if it's educational we just like we just need some video and that is not what I, I wanted to do. And there were a whole lot of people who were willing to do that and who were very good at doing that. So just, I just, I guess I got, it was like, I got pushed out, but I was, I was ready to be pushed out because it was exhausting. Yeah, no. Well, no, it, I mean, there comes a point too. It's just like, okay, so me, I love doing, like I'm doing some advertising. I like doing advertising stuff for, for, for creatives with their stuff, but I also, realize okay what i'm trying to do like i said and what they're what they want sometimes are not the same thing so Mm -hmm. i mean i can tell i can tailor a smaller offer for them and that's i'm fine with that to some degree but i have to i have to recognize the fact that okay what i'm offering may not fit this client and the question then comes like this do i want to chase the clients this fits if so how do i do that and if i don't want to do it then it's time to walk away that sounds like where you hit yeah yep i did i it just it stopped being um fun and um it was still profitable but it was just it 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 was not enjoyable for me anymore so it was it was time to get out so i i switched from the uh, wonderfully lucrative world of video production to uh, writing books, <laughs> I, which can be very lucrative in, in itself, actually. Um, I, what, 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 I, what I've learned, no, no, what I've learned is it's again, it comes down. It, a lot of the things you've learned in video apply in writing, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that, okay, what do I give a shit about? Which is a very important question to ask with your books: is what do I care about here? What? Why am I taking? Novels, novels, graphic novels. What are you doing? Uh, so I do memoir. Uh, I have three memoirs out right now, and I have a, a middle grade fiction coming out at the end of August. Okay, so 
So let's let's talk your memoirs. Okay. What do you what 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 do you what? I'm mean, we're going to talk in broad terms, but we'll talk promotion stuff at the end here. But okay. Broad terms. Why'd you write them? Uh, so the first memoir I wrote was because I had made a promise to myself at, at the end of 2016. That was like my only New Year's resolution was that I was going to write a book. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't have a plan for what it would be about. I was just somehow over the year 2017, I was going to write a book. And I started on January 4th. I was up at five o'clock in the morning because that's when I'm up to do my writing. And... I started writing some fiction story. I don't even remember what it was about. And then the next day, January 5th, uh, I just did not feel the love for the story. And I didn't know, like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know how to do an outline. I didn't know how to plan a book. And I thought, oh, you just, I honestly thought you just sit at your, your laptop or keyboard and you just go. <laughs> so I ended up uh, that day, thought, you know what, what would I like to write about? And I thought I would like to write about the time, uh, the time I spent in Italy. So I just started writing one story and then one story led into two. And then over the course of the year, the stories just rolled out. And I think by the end of January, it was really clear to me that I was writing a memoir. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now here's the question. Why did you want to Right about Italy. Um, I just, for that? you know what, there, what was going through my head was that old adage of write what you know. Yeah. And I, for some reason at that point in my life, I was reflecting or the, the thought just came into my head of like, that was a really entertaining story of what happened to me when I first arrived in Rome as a 21 year old, uh, student with absolutely no ability to speak the language um and it was it was a great story to tell because i met a lady from sicily on the plane uh who uh, at the we took the train from the airport into termini station and she handed me off to a gentleman and explained like she needs to go to ho her hotel can you help her and he ended up dropping me off at a brothel <laughs> <laughs> which was not my hotel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which was not my yeah. hotel. So I was like, you know, that'd be a good story to tell now that I have the perspective. Like at the time I was terrified. I was bawling my eyes out. I was questioning my my decision to, you know, live in Italy for a while. But now that I'm like in the safety of my lovely little home with my family, it's like, okay, I have some perspective now. And I think it would be a good story to tell. Oh, it's a great story to tell. So, yeah. But would I dare so go far to say, okay, so let's talk about it from two ends. Why you wrote it. You care about it because this is, this is you putting pieces together of who you are today and how you got here. Right? That, that accurate to say? Yep. Right? And, and that brothel in the story, right? Again, right? What you know. I know this. And your life sounds like it's an, it's been an adventurous life of all the travels <laughs> you've been on, which is awesome. But you know who, but the thing is, so so that's the writing end of it. So you already have, if you sit there and think about it, just based on what you've said here, a bitch that can appeal to a very particular kind of audience, right? Because you could do this one two ways. You could do it about 
traveling to cool places because people love to hear read travel stories and seeing what's out there and that experience. But also, okay, there's a lot of students going on the road, doing like a hostile lifestyle for the first year, coming out of college, kind of figuring out what I want to do. So I'm going to have fun for a while, right? So you got like this group of people that are, will already kind of want to read this because it's like, well, this is what I could expect. This is where it could go. And it could be fun. Mm-hmm. So now you got an audience right there, mm-hmm. right? College kids looking to explore their world. People your age looking at, remembering what it was like to be that person once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, right? And 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 that's, so now you got a place to start. And you got something you really care about writing because it's about putting... I mean, I mean, it's probably a little bit more complex than that, but it's about kind of putting yourself together, together and figuring out who you are versus who you are. And maybe if, dare I say, if like we started this whole conversation with me joking about chaos and mayhem, mm-hmm. right? We did, right? But I mean, maybe, maybe for you, it's a reflection of what pieces of me are still there, right? From that 21-year-old girl that but I was bawling her eyes out at the brothel and am I happy with, and maybe, and maybe again, a slightly deeper question. Am I happy with who I am now? I would say, yeah, I am. Uh, part of that was, so the, the interesting thing about the brothel story is that as I was writing it, it evolved into this story, not so much about the brothel, like that was the buildup and part of that story but it was, it ended up being more about a panini sandwich that when I finally got to my hotel, it was super late. Um, there wasn't uh, like a, a, a restaurant per se in the hotel. They had a kitchen that did like breakfast and dinner. <clears throat> and it was sort of like, you know, whatever was there was there. And the, uh, con- the, the gentleman behind the desk knew that, he was waiting on somebody to check in that night. Um, and uh, he, he waited at the desk for me. And once I was all checked in, he said, I saved you a panini. I don't know if you're hungry. And I was like, again, I started crying because over the sandwich, like I was tired. I was frightened. I was really nervous. And here's this total stranger uh, giving me kindness in a sandwich and it was like you know and it wasn't a good sandwich it was just it was so kind to be considered when like I'm just some person checking in a hotel what does he care if I've eaten or not it was just it was so remarkable so the story sort of evolved to be about this sandwich and and you know how how this this one person, this one guy who probably owned the hotel because it was like a really small hotel, uh, managed to salvage uh, my start in in Rome, which could have been really colored by just the brothel experience. Well, it's also just de- decent human nature too. We just, just you start talking to someone, you can kind of see that. See, he probably saw that you weren't having a good time. Like you probably were coming in, and you just looked like. Probably didn't know the whole story, just looked kind of devastated. It's like, I got a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. And right? that, it could, and, that and, could totally be, but you know, he didn't really have to, 
I, I was just yeah. super touched by his kindness. And I, I yeah. never forget that. No, you don't. You don't forget those moments. I actually, um, so at this hostel I was staying at, I, I, and I would only show up kind of like at night sometimes because I was doing all the crazy con shit I was doing during the day. But I remember one of the one of my uh, one of the people that was staying there. She was twenty two. She was a competitive skier in Germany, and she had to quit because her body gave out. Just she couldn't do it anymore. She couldn't compete. She could still ski. She loved it, but she what she was doing her whole life now was done, and she had to change. And you know, I just sat there and we just talked. I said, "I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll draw you a picture." Right. Not big, just draw a picture, right? And and she gave me a picture. There's again, you can go on my Instagram right now if you want to see it. It's a picture of her skiing. I actually had her add some stuff to it just to make it a little bit more fun. She took a picture of the of the ski thing to take with her. Um, you know, again, just you see people on it. Like again, kindness doesn't cost me anything really. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it really, really doesn't. It's just you see someone going through something, you can just be there for them say here i'm there a lot of times that's all we really need like we don't necessarily need doesn't have to be a panini sandwich or a pitcher it can be just a moment someone's just noticing that you're there Mm -hmm. that's a huge yeah it's huge sometimes you right when you need it too and looks like i mean someone was there for you that night yeah and you're never gonna forget that right and you know, I'm sure along the way you've put, you've paid it you've paid it that da- you've paid it down the road yourself. You've seen people that have gone through some stuff. You're like, I can do something for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to do that. I I don't. I'm not one of these people that like films it for social media. I just I just do it. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I don't uh, don't need to. Yeah. yeah. Not er- not everything's about the clicks. Right. Not everything is about the right. Right. It. It's nice. Like, like, again, I posted the, I posted the picture on Instagram. I told a little bit of the story, but that wasn't why I did it. I did it because it was just like, I could see she was shy and she was, she needed someone to talk to about what had happened. Right. And it's also kind of hard because in, in her case in particular, she had already had a career. Like if you're to sit there and think about it, right. She had a career she loved and she had to give it up. Not and not when she wanted to, mm-hmm. but because her body said, no, you just can't do this anymore. So she needed someone to articulate that. And that's what I did, you know? And that's that was it. Yep. Me right? Me having a picture I drew of her, or drew of that idea of her, that was different. You know? So <laughs> that was the part. That's the part, sure. I got some clicks for that, but mostly it was just me being a nice guy. Mostly. And that's it. I mean, those are the best things too. If you're trying to do something, but when people, when you're trying to get something out of it deliberately, right. People pick up on that and it's no longer the the thing you imagine it to be. Right. Yeah. And we see so many staged acts of kindness these days. Oh oh yeah. Especially, especially, especially like on, on, it doesn't matter what country you are, the political stage, you're just like, I've gotten to the point that I just, if I see it, if I see it, I just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to want something else. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It, it's, it's so much better when it's just a genuine thing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, so, but going back to what I was saying earlier, you're writing memoirs, right? You're writing memoirs. 
So I, I think the real secret is, I mean, understanding who's going to read those stories, right? Acts of kindness, traveling on the road. Uh, that would be students and probably women your age mm-hmm. that have done all the crazy things they did at younger kind of want to recapture that feeling for lack of a better term. Yeah. But what's interesting is that that first memoir didn't turn out to be a travel journal. Uh, it turned out to be more a memoir about family and, and food and how the two are so intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, so I, I really didn't have an audience in mind for that book. I just wanted to write it. I, mm-hmm. I just, cause I said I would. So, you know, I said I would write it and I wrote it and then I hired the right editors and uh, cover designers and just uh, ran with it that way. And then my audience ended up being um, like women from, 22 up into their 60s because a lot of the Mm -hmm. stories that they could relate to a lot of the stories that were in that first memoir about you know uh sneaking chocolate finding finding your grandmother's stash of her favorite chocolates or uh, being put on their first diet at a really young age or not feeling um comfortable uh, or welcomed in certain scenarios. Like it was, it ended up surprising me just how many women reached out to me after it was published to be like, you, it, you told my entire life story and thank you for not uh, letting me think I was the only one who experienced these kind of things. So that's why I write memoir really. It's about connection. Yeah. Yeah, I just I want people to know that you're not the only one uh, who experiences some of these thoughts and feelings and situations and and to let them know that you will come out the other side. It's OK. Yeah, and you're coming out awesome and made of cheese and you'll, you'll, you'll be still causing chaos and mayhem wherever you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Even if it doesn't look like quite the same thing it did in, in its 20s. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Yeah. Right. So, 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 okay. So you went from video stuff and your own company to now writing books full time. Is that the goal here? Um, event, yeah, that's ultimately the goal, right? So I, I sustain myself with, uh, I'm still kind of in the video business, but not the creative side. I, uh, I work as a legal videographer. So basically what that is, is when there's a, when you have a car accident and you sue the person who hit you, um, there's litigation for years and uh, the side that you sue, their lawyer will send you to the, all their preferred medical experts and professionals. And I'm in the room recording all those appointments for your lawyer. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I do that and then I do... I do um, depositions and questionings as well. So zero creative, but just point and shoot camera, basically. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the first part can be very, yeah, first part can be very educational, right? Because you you learn something sometimes going to, to these experts like, hey, this is how it works. And you're like, hey, I am smarter than I was when I walked in the door today. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There was a, a doctor that I've been I've been doing this for a decade now. And there's a doctor that uh, an orthopedic surgeon that I worked with for 
two years before he was like, so what's your name? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to talk to me for two years. And now he's like, and then he just super got super friendly. And uh, yeah. he would like, he would, once the appointment was done and I'm wrapping, I'm packing all my gear, he'd be like explaining orthopedics to me and drawing bones on the, on the paper, on the bed and mm-hmm. explaining to me like, you know, why this bone looks like it doesn't look right and what's wrong with it. And I'm like, I felt like saying, I'm not a doctor, but I could probably play one on TV. And, you know, he'd be okay with that. Yeah. Like, 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 here's the thing, right? I've learned, I've learned doing this. People just want to be heard. Like, I'm sure for when he first showed up, he was like, ah, shit. I wonder if she'll last. Because... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm still in San Diego. Yeah. Like, like you got like fatigue. It, it just, it just. I'm going to be. I'm going to probably be there a little bit until tomorrow, and then, and then tomorrow I'll be like, hey, I'm back in my own bed. I'm used to sleeping like a normal human being again. Um, but at the same time, um, they don't know if you're going to last. That's part of it, and and part of it too. You're just like you're here doing your job, and finally he's just like, well, shit. Um. I better get to know her while while I'm there because who knows how long how many more chances I'll have to see us. Now it's probably like he sees you on a first name basis. Yep. Probably tells a terribly dirty joke or a terribly bad joke, one or the other. He and actually then, he actually doesn't. He's he's a very kind man. Um, cool. And I've been I, I I've been working long enough with him that I now know he's retiring. Because the last time we worked together, he told me his entire retirement plan. And I thought, how how amazing is this world that we came from? You didn't even want to know my name to now. I know your entire yeah. plan for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, 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 that's 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 just it, right? We all. We all want to tell our story. I think, I think the one thing I, I think that um, doing this is Tommy. Everybody wants to tell their story. It's are you willing to listen long enough to hear it? And he trusts you, yeah, because you because you've been there and you've seen him and you and he knows you. He's probably, again, you guys have your relationship. Like, and what I mean by that is just you talk to each other and then you hang out, and it's probably a really good one, right? most people that are doing their thing are just doing their thing. They're kind people through and through. Right. So it's just about if you treat someone nice, if you listen to them, you will get their whole story eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But the, it's, it's an interesting line of work because you see uh, over the, over the decade I've been doing this, I've seen all kinds of people who are uh, very clearly not suffering uh, due to the accident that they had. And then there are the ones who are very clearly struggling every single day to mm-hmm. just get on with life. So, yep. And, and the legal court of all justice is blind, unfortunately, yeah. right? right? In the sense that, that, that you got to prove it somehow, some way. And, yep. and some, sometimes you get the happy ending you're going for. Sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why? And I mean, but that, but again, no job's perfect. It is what it is, mm-hmm. and you gotta you gotta kind of move forward with that, right? Somehow, yep. some way. Um, but it's not a bad cover, and you get to learn stuff. So if I ever see a legal thriller with you, a legal medical thriller with you <laughs> down the road, you got plenty of research. And how you got a con, yeah, you got a I- contact for it any, anytime you want one. Now, actually, <laughs> if you have, if don't have his, if you don't have that guy's number, you should get it. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's, there's just, uh, I'm, I'm legally bound to not discuss uh, particulars of any case. So if I ever decided to write that kind of book, I'd have to be super careful not to uh, give any hint of a real case that I've sat in on. I, I, except that might be impossible. That's the yeah. thing, right? Because even even if even if um, you make it all fictionalized, what'll happen is you put enough pieces together from from different cases. Again, you can hide it. Like there's lots of ways to hide it. Like for example, mm-hmm. and I, and folks, I'm not advocating her breaking the law. This is just, this is just <laughs> a way. To, this is just a way for her to tell a story without actually getting in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Take a bunch of your cases, put a whole bunch of circumstances together. Because I, I, I don't really, I, as long as you don't mention names in particular, you're probably fine. I, I mean, unless it's really unusual, like, hey, you know, somebody got caught with something in a very inappropriate area as a result of this accident, right? That might be a little too well known in some circles because it would be very unique. Mm-hmm. But, besides, but if you kept it very generic in terms of the typical stuff that happens with accidents, you probably could get away with it. Probably. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, I got I to ask, and then we'll move on here, is, is um, if you can say anything. If you can't, that's fine. What When you do these things, um, is there a particular, is there a particular, like, I guess is there a particular, like, normal pattern to it? And what I mean by that is because you're dealing with a lot of the same kind of accidents, mm-hmm. right? I'm certain, like, there, is there a point with it where you get, like, similar, not obviously different people, but similar circumstances with, like, described over and over again in the case? Um, not really, uh, yeah. because pain is very subjective. Yeah. So everybody sort of describes things differently, and they all, every patient has, has, uh, presents with different complications. What's, what's the same is like every doctor has their routine. So like I kind like after a decade, I already know when we're getting close to the end because they tend to not um, move away from that routine. And uh, that stays the same. And what's really fascinating is um, I can see the, the doctor's bias by how they treat a patient who is like a person of color or a woman or somebody whose first language is not English. Like it's a, it's a different interview. (laughs) Oh, very much so. Yeah, Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I mean, bias is bias colors everything. And that's the one thing you gotta, you learn with people is it does. Very few people can detach from their biases. It's one of the hardest. Honestly, it's a hard thing to do. Because we all we all have, I mean, let's be honest, we all have our opinions on stuff. I mean, how? I mean, the idea that we might be wrong about something, or that maybe that it well doesn't work according to how we imagine it. Like how? Like you know, how dare you say? It's a dare suggest such a thing. But it's true. Like we all have it. I mean, I try to be open enough to acknowledge. Like, yep, I got biases. I'm doing my best. I think that's the end of all anyone can really do, especially if they're trying to be the very best version of themselves. I think what really surprised me was that I, I thought, I thought in my own head that doctors were above this kind of uh, judgment. 
No, they're not. No, they are not. They're very clearly yeah. not. I, I think one of the one of the most one of the more I I think this is true with doc like I with, with any walk of life you will ever come across. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all put our pants on relatively the same way, right? We all wake up. We all go to bed. We all we all go through. We all have problems. We all have aspirations, but we also all we all judge. We all look at things. We all look at things like human beings. And a doctor would be no different because a doctor is a human being at the end of the day. And, and so you got to remember that, you know what, um, if anything, if anything, the doctor's biases could cloud. If you realize that a doctor has certain biases, it might cloud their ability to diagnose a problem depending on what they are. You know, it just, it's, they're human. And we're all, and, and that's something that I think that all, all of us need to always remember is we're all human beings at the end of the day and we're not perfect. So we all have blind spots, hard as it is to believe with I, someone like myself can have a blind spot hard. I know, but it's true. Yep. Yeah. So then you went and did that, you're doing that. And so, okay. So what's the, we, we mentioned master plan your plan for world domination and chaos and mayhem, which will probably be turning your books into a full-time deal. Is that, is that the plan? Well, that would be nice, but the reality is that there are very few authors who uh, can make a sustainable living mm -hmm. as a full-time author. Um, most authors that I know and that, that I've interviewed on my own podcast have a day job. Um, yeah. But and the ones that don't ha tend to have a spouse that's uh, very, very supportive and makes enough money to, to sustain the household or they're extremely pro prolific writers. Like mm -hmm. they're, you know, I know an author who cranked out three books this year, which is like well, last year, actually. And she she sold them and they're all all three are coming out this year. Um is she, will she be a millionaire? No. Should she be? Yes, because she's a fantastic writer. But and then there are people who are so uh, formulaic with their writing that they just they can crank out like ten books in a year and self-publish them on Amazon and totally make money and earn a living doing that. It's doable. I'm just not, I can't write that fast. So I, I, and even if I didn't have like the distraction of, not a distraction, but even if I didn't have my day job, I, I don't think I would be able to crank out that many books every year. I'm, I'm a one book a year person. I don't know if you can hear me, Joshua. I've lost you. I still, I can't hear you now. I can see you, but I can't hear you. <laughs> oh, internet. <laughs> I can't hear you.
I wish I had more conversation to offer you guys, ladies and gentlemen, but unfortunately I do not. Uh, the connection kind of dissipated and my volume just disappeared. So the rest of the conversation is us trying in vain to communicate with each other and failing. So I want to thank Dana here, audio for everybody to listen to, uh, for her time, effort, and just, you know, may trying to make this happen. So Dana, thank you very, very much for the uh, your time and for coming on my show. Now, if you want to find Dana, check out the links in the description below. You can definitely do that there. Uh, I just basically have a couple things to say and do here. I'm going to be updating my Patreon tonight. I have a, a great show with Brent Nichols. I got a lot of things I'm trying to try to catch up on in the next couple days. I got a novel to write. I've, I've been, I'm going to be busy for the next two weeks. But the important thing is episode 1000 is this Wednesday. And this Wednesday, my guest is none other than legendary comic book creator, writer, illustrator, Keith Giffen. I'm looking forward to that. It's kind of a cool way to hit break a thousand episodes. And that is that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say that's it for the show. Um, I want to thank everybody for watching, everybody for listening to it. It will be kind of its regular thing the next few episodes. Jessica Mason's my next guest on Wednesday. Definitely check it out. Oh, one more thing I should probably mention here is Healing Hands, my show I've written, produced, is coming up. Episode 1 and 2 are already done and in the can. You'll be starting to see clips for it by the end of this week. And yeah, it's like it's going to be a regular thing from now on. Like I, this is my fourth show. Um, you know, I was really happy with it. It considering the limitations we had, we did a really good job with some very basic stuff. So I want to thank Chanel for being great and patient about it. Uh, September twelfth, it will air on YouTube. Like I said, it's already up. Not episode one is ready to go as we speak, and episode two is just about ready to go, and episode three is going to be ready in that spot tonight. Um, I'm getting a nice little chunk ahead, so there's definitely content there. And i got to catch up with some of my other freelancing jobs. So for everybody watching, everybody listening, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Stay inspired. Keep shining in the dark. And I'll see you guys next time. Just Joshing is turning 1,000. And what is next in store for the show? The truth is, it's already happening. I've been recording shows since the start of the year in preparation of me going on the road. You can watch and listen to them now. They are available on my Patreon channel for the price of $5 US. Not only will you get to see these shows months in advance, but you can also help me when I take this show on the road. Click on the Patreon link for more details. Josh. Josh.